that was the most vicious two hours of my life that I can remember. Um, it was it was really bad. I rode a trail rider class or some whatever the whatever the beginner class was. I had a bruised uh, inside of my right arch was bruised badly after that race from kickstarting that thing kick so many times. O five CRF four fifty R. I mean, I must have kickstarted it one hundred and fifty times in two hours just muddy gnarly hills and stacks of bikes and bodies everywhere um it was brutal but uh it turned out i could still ride coming to you from the heart of america this is the adventure motorcycle usa podcast on each episode we'll talk with industry insiders experienced adventure riders adv creators and moto fabricators on this episode, we catch up with Nathan Jenkins, a serious adventure rider who grew up in a hippie commune in the hills of Northwest Arkansas. Nathan's an unofficial ambassador for Arkansas adventure riding and can point you to every good trail, creek crossing, and cafe in the state. He can tell you about every good piece of adventure gear, technology, and upgrade out there and probably sells and buys more motorcycles each month than some dealerships. If you haven't hooked up your rear tire into some Arkansas dirt, you're certainly missing out on some of the best dual sport and adventure riding in the country. We talked to Nathan about growing up on motorcycles, some of the best spots for adventure riders, and pin him down on a rapid fire best of list. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. I am your host, Matt McFadden, joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Terry T-Rail Terrell. We got a good one for you today. We have Nathan Jenkins on, and we are going to talk all things Adventure Motorcycle and Arkansas. Uh, Nathan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Appreciate it. It should, uh, should be fun. Yeah, we're glad to have you. We've started to spend more and more time down in Arkansas. And every time I get down there, I'm blown away. And I always think to myself, why am I not riding this more and more and more? The terrain, the topography, the geography, the people, uh, the food, everything about it, I love. Um, and so I wanted to do a podcast on, on riding Arkansas. And when, when I asked around, uh, one name kept coming up over and over, and that was Nathan Jenkins. You got to talk yep, to Nathan yep. Jenkins. He, he knows every back road and every back trail. In yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel like the pressure's on. You need to come down and let me guide you on a ride, and then we'll see if you uh, if your if your expectations go up or down, or if you're like, yeah, I rode all that before, or if you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't. I thought it was great, but I didn't know it could be that good. So, well, that, I mean, that's an interesting test. We are totally yeah. in, provided you don't have limitations on the riding skills. Uh, I, you know, I spent a lot of years, uh, and just before we started recording, I was, I was saying that, you know, I met some of our mutual acquaintances, uh, guiding, I used to guide a lot, uh, down here in this area. So, uh, tell us a little bit about how, uh, cause you're not originally from Arkansas, but tell us a little bit about your story about, uh, growing up in Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, I was born in Ohio and, um, right around the time I was born or actually about a year before, uh, my parents uh, were were moving out of the city and they were going back to the land. So my, my parents were back to the landers uh, of the late 60s and early 70s. And I moved into a uh, into a tent uh, in the middle of nowhere with no electricity, no running water onto a onto a 
bona fide hippie commune, which is a little bit late. I mean, this was this was 1973, which is a little bit late for a full blown back to the land uh, commune environment. But that's what it was when I was. Uh, so that was the deep fall of 73. Yeah. But they were a motorcycle family. I mean, I was riding um, I was riding motorcycles before I knew how to ride a bicycle. In the front, you know, sitting on, I've got pictures of me with my dad hanging onto the handlebars in the middle with your feet over the gas tank and they're riding. Sure. Um, so I had a lot of experience on two wheels before I could operate my own bike. Um, I've got <laughs> endless stories of that type. You know, when you're way out in the woods and, you know, it's it's 20 miles of dirt road to get to your schoolhouse. Uh, if you're going to neighbors, if you're going to the mailbox, if you're going anywhere, the whole family was doing it on bikes. So I did it on bikes before I could ride by myself. I got my first bike. It was a Suzuki 50 when I was five years old. And uh, we rode everywhere. I mean, I remember going to the neighbor's house in the dark on single track without a headlight on a 50 following, you know, an IT-175 dirt bike or something like that that my dad was riding. So I broke my leg on a motorcycle at age five. (laughs) You know, I mean, uh, all of it. So. Dad, but it was more fu- it was more functional riding. You weren't out like on yes. circuit racing. It was it was I kind of a it, it was functional riding for the whole family. Um, my dad uh, and a lot of my uncles they did do some racing. So my dad raced Barstow to Vegas in the late sixties, early seventies. Don't exactly know what year. Uh, and then my dad and my uncles they did some hair scrambling for fun. But motorcycles were the function. I mean, my mom rode a motorcycle. I mean, all everybody rode bikes because if you just live deep in the country, I mean, you don't bother to start an actual vehicle. If you're going to go, it's a mile to the mailbox and back across three Creek crossings. You don't take the car, you take the bike. Um, right. So, so it was, it was in the DNA. And I think for all of that time, for me particularly, it never occurred to me that that was, that that was recreation. And and were you dialed in? Uh, I mean, were you, it sounds like you you had some street bikes, you had some dirt bikes. Were were you doing kind of everything at that point, or were you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I could ride street bikes, I could ride dirt bikes. It was still in the functional category. I mean, it was yeah. motorcycles were just part of the fabric of of our lives. It it wasn't unusual. It wasn't unique. It wasn't fun. It wasn't not fun. It's just how you got around. I mean. I'd, I went cross country on the back of a bike at age 10, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's what I, you did. I, yeah. I slept on the back of a, of a seven fifty. I can't remember what that bike was, you know, air cooled seven fifty Honda, you know, going down the freeway, passed out at age 10. I don't know how I didn't fall off the back of that thing. Cause I don't think there was a backrest. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was not recreation at any time during that, that in the way I think about it today. You know, how did you get into adventure bikes or dual sports and, and, you know, where did that kind of click for you? Yeah. So we need to take a big, a big jump of time. So when I went, I went to college uh, and when I went to college, I only had a bike. You guessed it. You know, I had a, I had an old uh, Honda CM 400 a, which is a, which is a two speed uh, twin cylinder carbureted 1978 bike, uh, Hondamatic. There was no clutch, but that was just the bike I had at the time. Went to college on that. Uh, and I can't remember. I divested myself of it somehow, but there was a long period, the rest of college, out of college, workforce, grad school, it, you know, kid. I think it was about 
it was the early 2000s or so um, when I finally got back into to, to, to riding. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get back into this. You know, I had a job and I was stable. Right. You're, I'm you're off the commune. You're on your own. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm, yeah. This is going to be fun. Um, I think I had a, I had a, a series of bikes, but, uh, you know, I went to, I went down to a local Honda dealership and I was walking there and said, give me the best song that you got in here. You know, what's a CRF 450R? Give it to me. Put that sucker in the back of the truck, uh, bought a helmet and some gloves and some boots and a chest protector. That was a Saturday. Didn't even take it out of the back of the truck. Rolled up to the nearest uh, Arkansas hair scramble the next morning, which was a muddy, gnarly. If you've been to an Arkansas hair scramble, a good one. It's, you know, it, it's serious. And I didn't know nothing. You know, I hadn't ridden in a long time. But I rolled that sucker out of the back of the truck, fired her up down the driveway and back forth, rolled over the starting line, said, all right, time to go to school, boys. And uh, <laughs> That was the most vicious two hours of my life that I can remember. Um, it was it was really bad. I rode a trail rider class or some whatever the whatever the beginner class was. I had a bruised uh, inside of my right arch was bruised badly after that race from kickstarting that thing kick so many times. O five CRF four fifty R. I mean, I must have kickstarted it one hundred and fifty times in two hours, just muddy, gnarly hills and stacks of bikes and bodies everywhere. Um, it was brutal, but, uh, it turned out I could still ride. I mean, I put three laps on second place and, and, and finished midway in, in the B open class, you know, <laughs> and I hadn't ridden up their bike in several years. So, uh, so I kind of got into it after that and, uh, and merged my way into hair scrambles and, uh, flailed around frankly for a couple years in the beginnerish class um and and then finally i hooked up with a group of guys and uh we'll start to flirt with some some mutual contacts if we were to start talking names here but hooked up with a group of more serious riders here in northwest arkansas that every sunday we rode at white rock if you guys know white rock uh, sure. area down there near combs we rode there every Sunday and it didn't matter. We were riding. They were there. You, you were there. And I'm talking in the rain and the cold, whatever. We wouldn't have ridden if it was truly like deep snow on the ground. But other than that, it, it was on. And I rode with that group every weekend for a couple of years. And I'm talking all winter long, the whole deal. And um, and they were some hardcore riders. I mean, we're talking Red Van Zant was the was the ringleader of that, if you've heard that name before. Sure. Everybody knows Red down here. Um, and I just, I just followed that group and I just got tougher and better and more experienced. And after the first full winter season of that, I came out of that season, you know, pretty much, uh, racing in the A-Vet class, you know, successfully. So, uh, but that was the time period when I rode so much and I led so many group rides and I kind of probably started building that early reputation of, you know, if you want to ride dirt bikes in this area, you know, somebody show you around. I'm the guy. And that's how I ran into some of our, you know, the bulletproof design guys. I, I met both of them. That was in the era when they were riding the uh, 70 degree Husebergs. Mm -hmm. knew them. You know, mm -hmm. there were, one of them was on a 570 and the other may have been on a 390. I can't remember, but I met them at one of those group annual rides down there and kind of guided them around because I got so good at that whole area that, man, I could, I could take you three days all day out there and we wouldn't be on the blue loop unless we were crossing it, you know, that right. kind of stuff. And I learned that from, from red and those guys. Did you turn that into a, a business as far as your guiding? 
No, and people have said that to me. Oh, you should, you know, you should quit your job and do motorcycles or guide. And I'm like, I, I don't have time for any of that. You know, I, I, I go to work during the week and and got other things to do. So I just never. Plus, I don't, I don't feel like you could monetize that very well. Um, maybe you could. I, I know a couple guys. Uh, um, Corey is it Corey West? Uh, yeah, I think it's Corey West. He he runs Froggy Moto Tours down here. You know, okay. and he caters to guys. He's got a fleet of XR650 air cooled, and he just—he actually just bought a Tenere 700 as his main bike. He's also got a one of his new 450L Hondas. So he he guides a lot of people from out of town and shows them all the scenic places and that kind of stuff. But it's it's interesting because we've had uh, we had Cole Kirkpatrick on from Gnarly Routes, and you know Cole's uh, along with his buddy Russell Bobbitt. Um, you know, kind of made a name for themselves in uh, Russell for sure, and, and and Cole as well. I mean, both very very accomplished riders, and and they've kind of, they've monetized it. I mean, they they take guys guys out to Colorado and Utah on on tours, and they have the bikes, and you know, they're KTM sponsored and all that stuff. Um, and then and then we talked to you know another guy uh, who surely had the chops to to guide, and he said, "Man, I wouldn't want to take anybody's money. You know, th- I do this for fun." And once I start taking money, it becomes not fun and a business. And I got to start looking out for people. And, yeah. you know, I, if yeah. people end up, if people end up following me, that's awesome. You know, and yeah. that was I, I don't know. I don't know where I would follow in that, in that uh, guys. I mean, I got to where I was starting to feel a little bit of pressure, but I got to where I, I felt like responsible and accountable for other people's fun. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh my God, you know, if I don't lead the right ride or if I don't, you know, I don't, like, I don't want to be on the hook for if somebody else is having fun or not. I'm happy if people want to come along, let's go do it. But I don't want to be in any way responsible for anybody else. And so just kind of between that vibe and the fact, you know, I've got I got a job, I got bills to pay, I got responsibilities. It would probably take years and years to successfully get to where a guiding operation could could be sustainable. I don't I don't I don't have time for that. So. Yeah, you know, Terry, Terry knows a little bit about that because he takes the responsibility for planning, you know, a 12 day adventure ride for eight guys. And, you know, most of it is done uh, using, you know, aerial maps and looking and going, that that looks like a road. And sometimes (laughs) it is and sometimes it isn't. Uh, Yeah. It it, it took a couple of years, I think, Terry, before you kind of said, look, I'm going to set the route. But I'm not going to be responsible for everybody having fun on this trip. I mean, there's too many guys exactly. out here, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, I can talk about uh, GPSing and stuff because that's something I've got into for the last couple of years. But uh, to, to, I'm trying to – I need to get back to answering your question, which was how did I get into the adventure side of it. So I think I – and this is probably a little bit my personality. Uh, I don't get into a lot of things at once. But the things I do get into, I like get way, way into, into them way into and and i've been through phases where i in my life where i've been way into some other sports other than motorcycling but um i just got so far into the dirt biking thing that i began to approach burnout on it i think and i also uh i also like my back started you know getting hurt i I happen to be and this is crazy i've had guys tell me this is insane i'm like the fastest sit down rider you've ever seen in your life (laughs) (laughs) i have i have a i do stand up when when it's necessary but i in general i'm a sit down rider and i think that's part of what's really messed up my lower back i don't know um but uh i just got to where you know i'd go ride all day on on sunday and it'd be till thursday or friday before riding a motorcycle sounded like fun again 
And, and when that happened, I just kind of started uh, stepping back. And then um, I'm largely a KTM guy and I, be, I became a KTM guy probably in seven oh eight something like that. But I was strictly into the dirt bike side of it for a, a long time. You know, I, w- I would have walked by a you know, 950, 990 adventure and not even slowed down to look at it at that point. But I would have, I would have stopped and looked at a 300 for a long time. So, um, but, but what happened in there somewhere and I, I didn't keep too, too good a track of the years, but let's call it, uh, you know, eight, nine years ago. Um, I, st- I figured out somehow I learned what a 950 super enduro was, which is a fairly rare bike unless you're, unless you're a pretty yeah. serious KTM guy. Uh, and at that time they were still like, Uber unobtainium. I mean, it was like, you know, to the KTM fanatic, it was like a HP2 Enduro for a BMW guy. And uh, I was, and this is, this is all also shows you a little bit of my personal uh, pathology here. I was looking at one on eBay and literally in Seattle. uh, And it, it was, uh, it was sitting at 6,500 bucks or something like that. And I'm literally driving my car and as I'm telling on myself here, but I was checking my eBay in between stoplights. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I, I just happened to open my phone and look at it. It was sitting at $6,500 and it had like two minutes left. And I was like, screw it. You know, I, I'm getting those things are selling for 10 grand. I'll, I'll bid 75. I'm not going to get it, but what the heck, you know? So I'm, I'm driving and bidding at the same time and I click bid. And then, you know, you're congratulations, you're a tie bidder and 30 seconds left. And then I'm starting to get nervous. Oh, oh crap. <laughs> I may actually win this. Where was this thing again? Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, and, you know, sure enough, the seconds counted down and wham, I bought a 950 Super Enduro on the wrong side of the country. So, uh, oh, well. Um, so I looked it up, figured out how to ship it, got on uship.com, which is it's how I've shipped a lot of bikes since then and shipped it here. And uh, sure enough, that was that was really cool. And that was really my first major uh, exposure. And I, and I had. I'd been on smaller dual sports, you know, we also do a similar trip out West every, every year we go to Colorado or Utah or whatever, and take the tagged dual sports, usually smaller bikes. Uh, but this was my first like really big commitment to a, to a dual sport, uh, uh, lifestyle. And, and that bike just really, we get to the favorite bike, uh, portion of the conversation later. Of course I've had five or six super enduros since then, but, um, that, that goes down as one of your favorites, huh? Yeah, the the 950 Super Enduro, not that particular one, but yeah. the 950 the Super model, Enduro right. is probably that's got to be my favorite bike. Just just full stop. Not the best at a lot of things, you know. I can I can tell you other bikes I think are better at, than it in the same class, but but yeah, I just just rode the heck out of that thing and just it it just opened my mind and my horizons to to the ability to just walk out to the garage, put my gear on, hit the starter. Go ride all dang day, you know, get 250, 350 miles somewhere in that in that range. Combination of dirt and pavement and, and a couple, a little bit of double track or single track if I want to make a point. Uh, get something good to eat and come on home and not feel like I've been in a fist fight when I get home. Right. And, or when I go yeah, to you work. Don't, I mean, you don't have those bruises on your arches anymore, yeah. right? That was the that was the entry. That was the, what they call it, gateway drug. <laughs> the 950 was the gateway drug for sure. Yeah, I mean, as I was, you know, kind of doing some some research for this, um, I, I went on to Arkansas.com, which is like the the tourism uh, site, and there, I mean, they actually promote five different adventure dual sport rides in Arkansas on the like official tourism site, and and they actually have, uh, I don't think they had GPS maps uh, to them, but they actually had maps 
of them and then kind of gave a description. And it was, I mean, I went to, on the, you know, Colorado's website and Utah's website to see if, if there was something, cause I'm like, I'm missing out. Uh, yeah. Arkansas has made a commitment uh, to, and, and I know that there are other, was it bikes, blues and barbecue is the third yeah. largest bike rally outside of yeah. Daytona and Sturgis, right? 350,000 yeah. people. So there are guys that, that are on pavement that are, are, are flocking to Arkansas to ride, but I didn't yeah. realize. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, 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 it's more than the other half. I mean, we we could have a series of podcasts about pavement riding as well, because I do a lot of pavement riding as well. And in the paved roads in Northwest Arkansas are I've, I've done a lot of paved riding as well. Uh, yeah, I've been all over in the Blue Ridge Parkway area and, and Dragon and all that. And I've been yeah. to Colorado, New Mexico, uh, Wyoming, Arizona, Utah, all that as well. So the roads are fantastic here. There's just not they're not as big and as much of them as, as it is when you're right. the West. But, yeah. but man, we could really go off on the, on the pavement side of it as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Terry and I were down there, uh, Terry, when was that a couple months ago? And, and Nathan, I, I think this was the one that Bud forgot to invite you on. Um, yeah, probably. Right. Yeah. And, I gave him uh, a hard time on his post. After I, I, I think, I, I think you did. And, and this is why I like Arkansas so much. We rode all day and we got in, we were on some hard pack dirt. We were on uh, some double track. We got down into some mud bogs uh, that were thick as 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 goop, uh, and and we just had a blast. I I can't tell you if we stayed in a twenty mile area or a two hundred mile area because we were so far back in the woods, and I was just following everybody else, and I didn't really care where we where we were. But the greatest part about that was was not the riding, which was fantastic. But we dropped out in is it's Oark, right? Yep. And all I had on my mind the, came down the dirt and teed into the pavement. No, exactly right. right. Exactly, right. Yeah. exactly yeah. right. And and all I had on my mind was that piece of pie that I was going to get at that Oark General Store. And yeah. don't get me started on cafes. I got a lot of say about that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was closed. Uh, they had closed. Okay. Coronavirus was going on, and and they had closed early. And and we're sitting at the picnic table. And we had ridden, a, I was tired. I think we were all tired. And it was starting to get dusk and we had no idea where we were going to camp. Or, and so we're looking on a map and a guy sticks his head out from the, the country store and says, hey, you guys all right? And we said, yeah, man, we were surely hoping you were open. Uh, we wanted to get a piece of pie. And he said, well, well come on in. And, <laughs> nice. and we, got a, we got a piece of pie. He was in the house right behind the store. A guy by the name of Brian, Brian Elise, I think. Yep, um, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. And, and he set us up with food for the night, uh, you know, hooked us up with provisions, uh, hooked us up with with everything we needed. And then we said, well, do you know a place to camp? And he said, about a mile back on the Mulberry River, there's a camp spot and with a campsite right there. And, you know, when we tried to pay the guy. He said, well, look, you know, are you guys coming back for breakfast and gas in the morning? We said, yeah. He said, well, just we'll settle up in the morning. Good. Uh, Really great, great, great dude. And and that's, you know, the people you meet on, uh, you know, while you're out on, on motorcycles and the experiences you have like that, where your kind of faith in humanity is restored through experiences like that. And oh, our general store is, I mean, I think it's the oldest continuous operating store in Arkansas because back to 1890. And it's, you know, it's a destination for every TAT rider that. Yeah. That yeah. And that's, through. that's why as a local, um, you know, I've been to Oark more times than you can count. I've yeah. met Brian a thousand times, um, and they are great and friendly people. Um, the, the cafe that I go to, which is three miles away from Oark down a dirt road, 
one-man operation that looks like an abandoned house, but it's actually a restaurant. But you can approach that you can approach that location from many different locations. I mean, you guys popped out of the dirt right there at Oark. That's one of, you know, four or five different dirt roads or side roads or cattle guards or back ponds that you can flip out at right in that general area. Plus you can come at it on pavement from a couple different uh, in from 215 in the peak trail or up from 103 from, from uh, down near uh, uh, Ozark, I guess, you know, you know how Arkansas is. Uh, even just well, the pavement roads are, are like a bowl of spaghetti. You add in dirt road, and if you allow yourself to do combos of them, dirt and pavement, oh my, it's just endless. It's you, endless. You, yeah, it's hard to get bored doing it. Uh, what are some can't miss spots in Arkansas if you're an adventure motorcycle ride? Some can't some can't miss spots. Yeah, like um, you know, I mean, there's some some of those granite walls that you go by are are absolutely or go under are absolutely yeah. breathtaking. Yeah, you know? I mean. Two of the pave and dirt can't miss spots are uh, off of Highway 123. So Highway 123 is probably the best paved road in Arkansas. You know, people argue with you. Ah, Pig Trail or 341 is the best, but Highway 16. I mean, those are all world class. They're the best that Arkansas has. Uh, but for me, it's 123 from Mount Judy to Hagersville. But towards the bottom of 123, where there's that beautiful old bridge that goes across the river. Mm-hmm. There's a dirt road right there on the north side of the bridge. I mean. 20 feet past the bridge, you go left, which would be north, north, northwest. Um, but you go down there and there's car wash falls is what they call that. There's that one where you're underneath the granite wall and the water's yep. coming down, it dribbles on you and everybody stops. Yeah. And um, I think that's, that's one of the, the can't miss uh, routes. Now, if you go up that far enough and you don't stay on the dirt road, you take some little side spurs. Uh, it's an awesome, awesome route that has creeks and massive boulders in the river and you go climbs up and, uh, but, you know, if you were in a car, you'd probably want four-wheel drive and some clearance to make it through there. But it comes out just shy of Deer, uh, Arkansas, up on up, up on Highway 16. That's, pro- that's probably a classic uh, can't-miss route. Yeah, um, just, I- j- just to stop you real quick, the, the, the thing that always uh, strikes me, and, and Terry as a fly fisherman will tell you this, that, you know, Arkansas has got kind of Western-style rivers where they're rock bottom and not not real muddy bottom. And so mm-hmm. the, the creek, it makes the creek crossings awesome because you can go right across those things, and some of them are pretty darn wide. And your your bike, uh, you know, as long as you can kind of navigate and, and not uh, put a death grip on your handlebar. Yeah, they're, they're just, uh, and I can't remember if it's just shy of the car wash falls or just after. I think it's just after just there's after. that there's there's that classic creek crossing that everybody you know you go in Arkansas uh, Overland Facebook group yeah everybody you go on our, you go on our website there's, there's there's a video of it yeah yeah that that <laughs> specific creek crossing um, there there's a lot of other routes that are to me way less known but as good or better than that route um one of the one of the ones that's probably more well known but you know twenty percent as well known. If you go uh, north straight out of Fallsville on 21, it's about two or three miles on the left. I think it's like rural route 9100 or something like that. But you just turn left and it just spirals down, down, down the mountain, down to the White River or whatever that is. There's a real classic recrossing right there. And it, it can sometimes get deep and there's some rock ledges to get out the other side. And it comes out uh, just awesome adventure route. And it comes out up by Hawksville Crag. That's a classic, you know, if I've got, I wouldn't take some beginnerish riders through there. You know, I would, right. it would have to be somebody that I, that I knew and trusted could, could handle their bike, especially if they're big bikes. But um, that's another classic route. Um, 
Well, let, let's transition a little bit. Um, let's talk about what you're what you're riding now and what's in what's in the the Jenkins garage. I go through a lot of bikes, and, and I've by heard. a lot, I mean I mean a lot. Um, I probably had ten or fifteen bikes since September, what? for instance. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, wow. To, to ask me what I have right now, it's like. Well, hold on, let me check. Okay, it's it's five yeah. p. So, uh, do you mean as of now, or like this past weekend, or like next weekend? Um, yeah, yeah. Let's take let's take a six month swath of, of kind of or <laughs> yeah, what, or, so, you know so, what, what you're liking, take, what you're buying now. You know. Yeah. Let, uh, let's take the macro view. Yeah. Um. And and over the last two years, um, I have been my my primary bike has been a twelve ninety Super Adventure R. So I, I bought I bought uh, in October of eighteen, I bought the last remaining new old stock that they had at the dealership here in Fayetteville, uh, right off the showroom floor. And I, I try not to buy brand new bikes. I do still buy several, but um, but I bought it right smack off the showroom floor and got the super platinum fifty thousand miles zero deductible warranty because I knew I was going to put some freaking miles on this thing, and. Um, and that was my primary bike. You know, I just rode it and rode it and rode it and rode it. And, and so probably 50 to 60% of my miles in the last two years have been on that bike. So um, that's, that's been the primary. I mean, I rode it all over, you know, in places you shouldn't ride it and you know, multiple wheel set configurations. So I could, you know, I, I go rip it up with sport bike riders. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll freaking go in sideways at 90 miles an hour, getting around a 600 on a pair pin, you know, whatever it takes with, with 17s on my super adventure, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, took it out to Colorado, rode, do- rode double with the wife, you know, all over the place. That was like, you know, you think me in the last two years and bikes, that was, that was my bike. That's your bike. What are the major upgrades you've done to that that twelve ninety? I did everything to it. Yeah, I did everything to it. Um, the The only thing I didn't do. So let me start with what I didn't do. I didn't do the full uh, air intake uh, Rottweiler delete. The only reason I didn't is because I knew for darn sure that would void the heck out of my warranty if they mm-hmm. discovered that I did that. But um, I mean, I did wheels. Obviously, multiple sets of Woody's wheels. So I, I like I like Woody's wheels out of I think they're out of Colorado. Colorado, Denver. Yeah. yeah. Is, is the best wheel. So I had multiple sets. I had 2118 sets. I had 1917 sets. I had some 1717s. Um, but suspension. So I, I, this will allow me to talk about multiple bikes. You know, I was riding the riding the pants off that bike. I had it all all duded out. You know, custom seats and this and that and graphics and Scott stabilizers and exhausts and custom gearing and wheels and all that. And then my buddy bought a 790 Adventure R when they first came out. And, and so we wanted to go out and go for a ride and, uh, we did. And halfway through the ride, he encouraged me to, to take it for a spin. And so, uh, you know, being a good friend, I am, I climbed on it for the first time and first gear, second gear, pulled up a wheelie, rode it through about fifth gear. Since he's not a wheelie guy, I wanted to make sure his bike would do that for him. So he knew that, that he could do it. So I just, just need to show him what his bike was capable of, but, um, but no, we ripped through some some dirty, gnarly. It was a dirt road, but it was a rough, cobby four four wheel drive style road. And I was just absolutely raging through that stuff because that seven ninety felt like a two fifty coming off of my coming off of my twelve ninety. The twelve ninety. And and I 
And about 10 minutes later, I was like, I got to get off this bike. I can't, I can't be on this bike anymore because I'm going to have to own one if, <laughs> if I'm on this for, for another minute. But that bike with stock R suspension, I don't know what he did with his clicker settings, was the best suspended adventure bike I'd ever been on. Just freaking blew my mind. I was, I was immediately disaffected with the suspension on my 1290. And so, like, I don't know if it was the next week, but it was very shortly after I just ripped my suspension completely off and I shifted to Conflict Motorsports and had them give me the, the whatever kit. I don't know what it was. It was 1800 bucks or something. Right. They serviced it out or springs, valve, whatever they do, whatever their level two kit is or, or whatever. And that really, that really, it, it still was nowhere near the 790, but it really tightened it up. Um, it had a much more controlled, I felt like I could, you know, rip across a dry, uh, baby headed Creek bed, you know, just, just lean back, and it, just throw it, send it, you know? Um, so that really breathed new life into that, into that bike for me for the last year or so. Um, but that was the last, the last big, uh, upgrade but, upgrade. Yeah. But then, you know, I, uh, this is me, this is my addict, my addiction. I don't, uh, I don't play golf and it keeps me away from hookers and Coke, you know, but I, I don't, uh, I don't do anything else, but I do right. new bikes. Right. And I just, I just got bored of it and I sold it a month or two ago. Oh, you sold your 1290? Yeah, it's gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so what do you, that, what do you, what are you riding today? Are you what? going to the 790? Yeah. So I, so I bought a 790 rally after that and, uh, took it to Colorado and, uh, I had a, I'm a KTM guy, I bleed orange, but uh, yeah, I'm not afraid to call my own kids ugly when they are. I had nothing but problems with that bike. And I just got so, I just cannot tolerate just chronic problem after problem after problem. Uh, although I will admit, I think that several of the problems were inflicted by the dealers that put the bike together and that served it, serviced it prior to my ownership. I think it was a dealership and I won't name them, name them, but it was not an Arkansas dealership. It was a Texas dealership. I think that they were a dirt bike shop, either that or a multi-line shop, and they weren't familiar with adventure bikes and they screwed that thing up so bad. And I just was chasing gremlins and chasing gremlins and I just became disaffected with it. And I was like, I can't, cannot deal. And I just pow, got rid of it before I, I put 1600 miles on it and was, was done, done, done. Of course, now I'm looking at 890s and stuff, but uh, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so no, uh, at this moment, because it is, uh, Five five thirty in the afternoon on a, on a Thursday. Uh, I haven't had an adventure bike for I don't know forty eight hours or sixty hours, something like that. So <laughs> I had I had an eleven ninety adventure R uh, uh, there for there for a little while after I got rid of the seven ninety. Now did did I see or hear that you had a BMW somewhere in the stable region? Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're gonna call me out. Okay. No, oh, no, no. I was Look, trying to gracefully we're, skip that embarrassing we're, dark chapter. In no, we're, life. we're we're agnostic on the Adventure Motorcycle USA <laughs> okay. uh, podcast. We we okay, like okay. I, and I well, rode twelve hundred. I got I got so like in my bones ticked off at KTM because all the problems I had with that seven ninety. I was I was just I I became emotional. I became despondent because I was so ticked off uh, with all the problems. And so I sold it, uh, it, it, more, more accurately. I traded it for a BMW 1250 GS adventure. Okay. I got a favorable trade for it, uh, which helped me, um, you know, think it was reasonable to let it go and to try out a BMW. I've got two of my primary riding buddies, like, like my dang near every weekend, if I can drag them out of bed, 
that also have new 1250 GSs. Now they've got standard GS 1250s, uh, and this one's a 1250 adventure. adventure. Yeah, this was a 1250 adventure. A guy in Chicago, uh, he's actually a buddy of mine. We bought and sold bikes to each other, and he was looking to try a 790, and I was looking to try something not orange. So I got a I got a favorable trade. It was a 2019 1250 GS adventure, 1300 miles on it. You know, loaded, duded all the way out, all the bags and the luggage and the GPSs and everything. Rode that for a while. It's uh that was really uh, a culture shock, like like just like epic, epic culture shock. You know, coming off of a couple years on on a twelve ninety adventure. I mean, from that to a to a GS adventure, even though they're powerful, you know, shift cam twelve fifty, you know, makes hundred and thirty six horsepower an hour, whatever it is, but. But man, that's that's culture shock, and and it was really tough for me to get, uh, you know, the shit eating grin inside my helmet on that bike. You know, you just, uh, yeah, you kind of, you kind of, it's it's not that kind of fun. And I'm, as I said, you know, uh, earlier or before or we even uh, started recording, I'm getting to where I can enjoy different aspects of riding. You know, I can enjoy the the scenery, the outdoors, the fresh air. Uh, but man, I've got to have that fun aspect too. I've got to have the the visceral experience of when you turn the throttle and your neck muscles strain under the torque because you do the acceleration. And you know, I've I, I've got to have that. So, and then uh, to be fair, since I've uh, I've called my own kids ugly when I complained of all the trouble I had with the 790, uh, I had problems with the BMW. Frankly, um, TFT dash was glitchy as all heck. Half the time it'd be completely black, like nothing. Bikes running, I'm riding black screen. Of course, I've had several bikes since then. That was that was a full month ago. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> the, the the best the best advice I got when I was because uh, I rode a, a, a GS twelve hundred for a number of years, and mm-hmm. when I was looking at that between that and the adventure, um, somebody said, "Well, you know, are you going to ride with anybody that isn't riding a GSA?" Yeah. And I said, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, you're stopping for gas every time they're yeah. getting yeah, gas." Yeah. So you don't need. Uh, a 400 mile fuel range does not help you if all of your riding buddies have a 200 mile fuel range. Exactly. All right. Well, listen, we have uh, we have some rapid fire questions for you. <laughs> oh, make me nervous. Here we go. I don't get these. No, here we go. Can, so I, this, can this, I make this, can I make stuff up or do, do I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want to do. It's it's we're freestyling here. Um, okay, so rapid fire best adventure tire. Um. So I know you want a rapid fire answer. I, I, uh, TKC 80 is probably the all around best uh, multi-surface tire in existence. Full stop. Don't care what you say. I'll fight you. Um, but I didn't always run that because uh, I was get, I was averaging a thousand miles or less per rear tire. And so I bought whatever was cheapest because yeah. it does not matter when the tire is spinning what's back there. But uh, probably over the time that I had them, I mean, TKC 80, I think it, it's not the best at any one thing, but it's the best at, at the average of things. So yeah. name me I'm another right. tire that'll do this as good at so many different things. Uh, Shinko uh, 805 is my other favorite go-to tire. $100 a piece, cannot beat it with a stick. Um, and then the other tire that I ran a lot, and I, and I went back and forth on this. Um, you know, would I rather have a tire that'll last 2,000 miles, which is the, the Moto Z Tractionator Adventure, or would I rather have a tire that'll go a thousand miles for the same price? You know, I can buy, I can buy two 805s for, for one Moto Z and I get right. a fresh tire 50% more often. All right, let's keep going. Best adventure seat. Adve- I'm sorry, adventure what? 
seat um seat concepts is is the best um i also run uh ts custom uh tom simmons that's a it's a shop here in, in fayetteville he's probably built me 20 seats my my uh, kawasaki conqueror 1400 is physically at his shop right now i'm gonna pick it up tomorrow but uh i think at the end of the day uh for for adventure riding uh, nobody beats seat concepts all right best gps uh, the best standalone GPS right now is a Garmin uh, Zumo XT. I used to run a 595 LM, but the new XT just shatters. It's it's awesome. I just got the LM last year, so I appreciate the, <laughs> that. I need now I need yeah, the upgrade. <laughs> yeah, call, call Radio Shack. Tell them you want to take it back because uh, right. the new the new gig is out. Best skid plate. So I don't run the best skid plates. I, I would say probably Black Dog Cycle Works is the best skid plate, but I don't run them unless I buy a used bike that has it on there. Um, I'm not a huge. Uh, I mean, I, I run skid plates on everything before before I ride them, but I don't go full last man standing. You know, drop your you know 600 pound bike on, on a pile of rocks. So uh, on my KTM's, I, I on my 1290, I ran the KTM Power Parts skid plate. It's mm-hmm. aluminum. It covers it. It's 200 bucks or something. You know, by the time I get my discount, it's 200 bucks. Uh, it works just fine. It's easy to put on. It's easy to take off. Those monstrous, you know, $450 black dog cycle works. I mean, that's cool. And that'll survive a nuclear winter. But trust me, Heavy. you're you're not Chris Birch and you're not going to use that skid plate. Just just get the regular one. and go Best, best hand guards. The best hand guards in the world, and this is not up for debate, is highway dirt bikes. Highway dirt bikes, not not a uh, not a mainstream one. No, no, there is no there is no second place. All right, what makes them so good? Uh, they're bigger and beefier than anything else on the planet. Um, they come with uh, a tap set. You thread them into the to the side. The, the bolts on them are like they look like freaking tractor lug nuts. The bolts that go into the side. The mounting for the center part of the handguards that bolt on your triple tree area, they got multiple different mounting variations. You can actually drop a full-size bike on a pair of these. They're not going anywhere. And there, there simply is nothing that I'm aware of uh, that there is no second place. Well, I need to get a pair of those. I'm, All right. Best helmet. I'm an Arai guy. I've been running Arai XD3s and XD4s. Uh, and then I've been running Showy GT Airs for my, for my street helmets. Um, I've got a buddy who swears by shoe birth. I'm a, I'm a bigger Rye XD guy for my uh, for my adventure helmets. All right, best communication system. Uh, I'm a Cena guy. I'm a Cena guy. I I hear that cardio is is the stuff. I don't understand it. I don't understand the compatibility. I've been running Cenas since since I don't even know when. But uh, I had a Cena five, the the original five that came out, and I just beat that thing with a hammer for years and years and years, and it always just worked. Um, now there are various Cena's that just don't work as well. 20S, I would never, I've never had as many problems with a product as the 20S. And so I got rid of it quick by throwing it straight in the trash. Um, but I've been running 10S's, uh, since then. And I just can't, uh, can't get enough of them. I don't like the fancier ones because the, 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 the verbal command function never works. The wind noise and stuff activates it. So I turn all that crap off. I need to be able to make and receive a phone call, dictate a text, and talk to my buddy. And I don't care. And listen to music. One of, one of the funniest things to ever watch is Terry Taro giving verbal commands to the Cardo system. Oh. He, he yells at that thing and screams <laughs> yeah. at it and oh, yells I, at it. 
And yeah. it never, never does the music stop. Never does it call the right person. Never does it. It's, it's a good Bluetooth device to listen to music. Yeah. And that's all about every time. And then it just randomly hooks you up with somebody and you know, you're singing and they're like, who is this? Um, okay. Uh, best jacket, adventure jacket. Uh, I'm a little bit of a snob and I, I recognize that about myself, but I'm a climb guy. And, uh, I've been running climb Badlands for for many many years. Um, it's a great jacket, and, I, and I'm as bad of a gear guy as I am a bike guy. Almost, I've I've been through five or six sets of uh, Badlands in the last eight years. All right, last one. Upper crash guards, yes or no? Uh, no for me. Um, but I, you know, I, <laughs> I I'm snobbish and I recognize that. So grain of salt time. <laughs> uh, I. I largely gave up crashing quite a while ago. So uh, I don't really use crash guards. Uh, I think upper crash guards look really dorky and I'm not convinced that they necessarily work. I like a, I like a badass set of hand guards, good skid plate for it to protect the bike. And if, if, if you have a yard sale at a fast enough speed where it really matters, if you had an upper crash guard or not, you're not going to care about the condition of your bike. That's kind of my, right. that's kind of my position on it. So all right. Well, Nathan Jenkins, I really appreciate you coming on to the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. Uh, if you guys want to follow Nathan, he is on Instagram at N as in Nancy, C as in cat, J as in Jenkins, zero one, NCJ zero one. He uh, often posts his adventures down in Arkansas there. Nathan, pleasure to have you on. Thanks for spending some time with us and, and sharing your story. Yeah, you bet. Anytime.